Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. All right. Well, good morning again and happy Mother's Day uh, to our moms. Uh, We want to celebrate you. I hope that if you are a mom or you're in the role of a mom to somebody, a surrogate mom, that you leave here knowing that uh, you're blessed, that God loves you and he sees you. Um, But but I also want to acknowledge some pain points around Mother's Day. Um, Even as you heard the stories that Justin shared of of God coming through and of of blessing and answering prayer, uh, we have those and we have other places where God has not yet answered the cry of our heart. And for some of you, I know Mother's Day is a tough one for a number of reasons. One could be just the the inability to have children and the questioning of feeling like, God, you made me to be a mother and yet you've not provided the opportunity. Others of you, like me, have lost your mother. And Mother's Day is a tough one because you're reminded of that vacancy in your heart that she left. Some of you have a broken relationship with your own mother or you are a mother with a broken relationship with your own child, or some of you simply just come in with a heavy burden of mom guilt. You feel like you're not doing enough, you're not good enough, every other parent is doing it better. And to all of you, I want to say this, God sees you, he loves you, his plans for you are good. But it's okay to come and say, I'm not fine today. In fact, that's the series that we're in, I'm Not Fine. Last week, we got to hear from our student ministry coordinator, Edwin, talking about the, the overlooked, those who would say, I just feel unseen. And he, he spoke to us about the valley of dry bones where God spoke life into dead bones and they became bodies and they became an army. And we saw that there is hope for the overlooked. Today, I want to offer a word of hope for those of you who feel weary. The the textbook definition for that word is physically or mentally exhausted by hard work, exertion, or strain. Would any of you be honest enough to say that there's some weariness in your life today? All right, we'll talk about honesty next week. For the rest of you, weariness, right? We feel it. And the truth is that some degree of weariness is an inevitable part of the human condition. We will never fully escape feeling a bit weary on this planet that we call earth. And I know that because Jesus himself experienced weariness, both physically and emotionally. John chapter four, verse six tells us that Jesus was wearied from his journey and sat down beside the well. Jesus knew what it was to be hungry, thirsty, tired, exasperated. At one point it says that Jesus prayed, Father, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So weariness at some level is a part of the human condition. And the authentic Christian life does not shield us from weariness. In fact, in many ways, it more certainly guarantees that we will feel it. Right? And I know that because Jesus himself was weary. I don't know about you, but for me, I would love for my life to most often look like the folks on the picture behind me. Um, I would be good. Put me on a mountain, put me on the beach, I can recline, kick my feet up, take a nap, have somebody bring me a soda. Some of you are all laughing because you're like, I'm not sure. 
But don't we all want that? And it's good. We're going to talk about the, the goodness of rest. But as a template for our life, God did not call us to just kick our feet up and relax and enjoy the good life. The way of Jesus is something very different than that. Paul tells us in Philippians that Jesus, though he was in very nature God, did not consider it something to be held onto, but made himself nothing. Took the very nature of a servant, was made in human appearance, and being found in the human likeness, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, did anybody have the good life better than Jesus? He's in eternal heaven, perfect union with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and yet he gives that up to enter our brokenness, our dysfunction, our weariness, and even go to the cross to redeem us and to show us there is a better way to live. Alexander McLaren said this, the wearied Christ proclaims his manhood, proclaims his divinity and his love, and rebukes us who consent to walk in the way of his commandments only on condition that it can be done without dust or heat. And who are ready to run the race that is set before us only if we can come to the goal without perspiration or turning a hair. Jesus, being wearied on his journey, sat down at the well. Friends, if Jesus experienced weariness in his calling as he perfectly lived out the will of the Father and you want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, then weariness will come into your life. I believe it's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Paul assumed that the people he was writing to, followers of Jesus, would come to a place where they go, is it worth it? And he says, yes, it is. Moms, is there a better verse for Mother's Day than let us not become weary in doing good? Moms, don't grow weary. I looked at a 2019 study this week that compared American moms today with those of the 1960s. Listen to how startling the difference is. Today's moms work nearly three times as many hours outside of the home and remarkably spend four hours more per week caring for their own children. Today's moms are more highly educated with many of them earning their educations while also working outside of the home and raising their own children. And to make matters even more difficult, one in four American moms are what are called solo moms. They're doing it on their own. And so the burdens of finances, the burdens of academics, the burdens of emotional and spiritual development fall on them. And this was 2019. COVID hadn't happened yet. The truth is, if they were to do the survey now, it would not have gotten better but worse. For many people, their lives were like standing on the edge of a cliff, not quite falling off the edge, but COVID was that strong wind that just blew them over the line. There was complete and utter exhaustion and weariness. And some of you, women and men and maybe young people, are coming in today carrying a heavy, heavy load of weariness. Before we dive into the scripture this morning, let me revisit two things that I've said. Number one, some degree of weariness is an inevitable part of the human condition. You're never going to fully outrun it. And secondly, that if we follow Jesus, that will not automatically eliminate weariness from our lives. But here's the premise that I want to work from this morning. Unmanageable weariness does not have to be the norm for your life. Can I say that again? unmanageable weariness and exhaustion does not have to be the norm for your life. The answer to our weariness can be found 
in a book called Chicken Soup for the Weary Soul. I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, some of you remember the, these books that came out and, and they promised to, to rejuvenate our souls. And so they made like a hundred copies, chicken soup for the teenage soul and the mom's soul and the dad's soul and the, the infant soul. The truth is I go to a different book to find hope for my weariness. And I'm going to encourage you to go there. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 28. And I'm going to read through chapter 12, verse 8. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath day. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat them. But when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, when they saw it, they said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And also those who were with him, how he entered the house of God. And he ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and yet are guiltless, I tell you. Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known, Pharisees, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The first step I believe that we can take to, to combat unmanageable weariness in our lives is pretty simple. We honor the Sabbath. If that... If that uh, sentence or that idea doesn't resonate or doesn't make sense, let me unpack it a little bit. The Sabbath first comes to us in Genesis chapter 1, the very first page of our Bible, where it says that God worked for six days creating, and on the seventh day, what? He rested. Now, God was not weary. God had not yet taken human flesh and entered our brokenness. God wasn't worn out, but God knew that we would get worn out. And so God set a template for being that one day out of seven, we would stop with the striving, the producing, the working, and the effort, and we would just relax. We would just chill. So that's Genesis 1. One book later in Exodus chapter 16, Moses is leading the Israelites through the desert. They are weary in their wandering, and this is what it says. Moses said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you'll bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. This is where the idea of Sabbath as a human practice gets introduced into human history, Exodus 16. And just a few pages later, you might know that when God gives Moses the 10 commandments, one of them is honor the Sabbath. So, so this is a really, really big deal to God, and we're going to see why in a moment. But this is the basics of it. The Sabbath is a weekly day of rest for the purpose of worshiping God, enjoying creation, and refreshing ourselves. And I would submit to you that the need for Sabbath is not less in our day, but more. We who live in an age of cell phones, Zoom meetings, homework, lacrosse practice, fast food, and laundry, we need a day to stop. We need a day to breathe because what happens in the relentless pursuit of what we have to do next is we forget that we are human beings and we become simply humans doing. 
Our, our soul begins to detach from our bodies. And then we hear people saying things like, I'm just spent. I'm just exhausted. I'm just worn out. And so our, our natural posture is we go, well, I just need a little more time in my day. I would submit to you that you do not need more time in your day. God gave you enough. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, said it this way. The solution to an overbusy life is not more time. It is to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. The Sabbath is able to do just that. It's not that homework is unimportant. It's not that lacrosse practice is bad. What it is is that if we never turn off, if we never stop, if we never intentionally slow ourselves down, we will miss the purpose for which God made us. And so my family has attempted to, to do this. Now, I'll be really honest with you. We've had a very, very hard time figuring out a day of the week to Sabbath. She's a wedding photographer, so many Saturdays she's gone. I am a pastor, so most Sundays I'm here. What day do we choose to slow down and to stop? But there are practices that you can work toward. Now, this is not legalistic. I want to give you some ideas for how you can introduce restful rhythms into your life. Doing things like sleeping in. Yesterday morning, for the first time since probably college, I slept in until 9.45. It was an act of God. I don't know how it happened. I woke up, Nikki said, I said, what time is it? She said, it's almost 10. It's like, what? <laughs> Am I sick? You know, no, it's like, but it was a gift. It recharged me. Sometimes we go for a walk or we do a puzzle or we take a nap or we take a nap or I just keep taking naps and that helps or a family dance party, eating a meal together. When I was younger, there was a, a piece of furniture in one of our rooms and it was called a dining room table and we would actually sit down at it and eat a meal together and we would talk and we'd slow down and my family does this from time to time. We, we stop, we slow down, we eat a meal together. Or Nikki and I will go out first thing in the morning with a cup of coffee and watch as the sun's coming up or we'll go out in the evening, watch the sun go down with no agenda, no something we got to get done. See, these practices can begin to help us do what is so important, which is to let our soul catch up to our body. Some of us are running so fast, the soul has been left way behind, and we need a place and a time to let the two catch up and reintegrate together. Now, when Jesus showed up, the idea of Sabbath had been completely twisted by the religious leaders. They had turned it into a law to persecute people. This gift that God had given for our refreshment became a law that they would persecute people for. So they invented something called the Sabbath day's walk. And these religious leaders literally believed that you could walk up to one kilometer before you were breaking the Sabbath. And if you took one extra step, you broke the Sabbath. And so they'd monitor people. Five-eighths of a mile, one kilometer. If you've ever run a 5K on a Saturday, you're a Sabbath breaker. <laughs> that, that, that's what they believed. They completely distorted the goal and the point of it all. And Jesus points out to these Pharisees in Matthew 12, the passage we read earlier, that even the priests themselves break the Sabbath, and yet they are not guilty. So what in the world is he talking about? Well, the priests on Sabbath day served and ministered to the people. So they weren't resting. God says, how, how far do you want to take your legalism, Pharisees? How far do you want to go? What, what kind of hairs do you want to split? What do I do if I work on Saturdays or I work on Sundays? Here's what you do. You understand that the Sabbath is a principle for your good. And if the best day for your family to take Sabbath is a Monday, then that's your Sabbath. 
Whatever day allows you as a family to slow down and not be in the grind of work and the rest of the things, that's what you do. And if you can't find a day, start with a half day. If you can't find a half day, start with two hours. Observe the principle of slowing down and stopping long enough for God to refresh and recharge your soul. Jesus is not in Matthew chapter 12 refuting the principle of Sabbath. Rather, he is revealing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In fact, a little uh, further down in the passage, he's going to say to them, Hey, Pharisees, if one of you has an ox and it falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, what do you do? The implication is they pull it out. They work because they understand that there are exceptions to every rule. And Jesus is going to say, you have more grace on your cattle than you have on people. At one point he says, you put heavy burdens on people and you don't even lift a finger to help them. That is not the way of Jesus. God gave the Sabbath to be a blessing and not a burden. Mark chapter 2, a parallel passage to Matthew 12, it is said this way, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not a rule where God is saying, hey, I want to watch and make sure that everybody's doing what I told them to do. God's saying, no, I gave this to you as a good gift. I gave you the Sabbath because you have need of it. It is a blessing, not a burden. Nikki and I, as we've been talking this week about some hard things kind of swirling outside of our immediate family, but not too far outside. And I discovered something. I found myself being a little bit agitated, a little bit stressful. I'm probably being too kind to myself. I was kind of a bear to live with this week. And here was the realization. Kindness is a virtue that comes fairly naturally to me. Like, I I never approach somebody thinking the worst or with a hostile attitude. Like, I love meeting people. I'm, I'm able to be kind pretty easily. But what I struggle with is graciousness. When that person fails me, when that person disappoints my expectations, and the unfortunate result of that is sometimes the people that get the best version of me are those furthest from me. And sometimes it's my own wife and my kids that see the ungracious side, the unforgiving side, the stressed out, disrupted side. I think, man, if if they would just do this or if the kids just wouldn't have done, I would be better. And I make it a law to hurt them. And that is so unlike Jesus. In fact, it's a lot more like the Pharisees than it is like our Messiah. I want to say a quick word to dads. I'm allowed to beat you up because it's Mother's Day and not Father's Day. So I'm going to get my kicks in here. And because I'm dad and I'm just going to, I'm preaching to myself right now. But maybe some of you can relate. Dads, we we can have a tendency to lose our cool and to blow up on our kids or simply to set expectations on them that are unreasonable and unrealistic. And and the cumulative result of that is we love our children. We may even pray for our children, but over the course of their childhood and upbringing, our kids learn not to get dad mad because you'll catch the worst of him. And, And what I've discovered is, man, I'm never angry at my kids. Well, not never. I'm very rarely angry at my kids. You know what I am? I'm stressed out. I'm weary. I'm I'm living at full capacity. And so when my wife asks something that goes an inch beyond what I feel I can offer, when my kids' attitudes go sideways and require just a little bit more energy, I lose it. I think this is why Paul said, dads, don't exasperate your children. One of the main ways that we exasperate them is by being ungracious toward them. And one of the ways we combat that is to Sabbath, 
It's to take a different approach to it all. I think the second thing that we do here is that we elevate grace. We elevate grace. So first we observe the Sabbath, but then we elevate grace. I desire to live in a culture of grace, and I believe you do too. I want to live in a home where grace is normative. I want to be part of a church where we easily trade in the commodity of grace. I want to live in a community, Horizon West and West Orange County, where we know how to be gracious with those who think and act differently than us. This is the way of Jesus. The word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John says, we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of both grace and truth. You want to know the reality in our world today? We're increasingly seeing two camps emerge, especially in Christian culture. On the one side, you have the truth camp. And they're, they're camped out there and they're going, we know what is right and we're going to beat you over the head with it. That's not the way of Jesus. On the other side, we have the grace camp that anything goes and we'll accommodate any idea or any uh, issue that there is, but that too is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to marry perfect grace and perfect truth together. And what we strive to do at Horizon West Church, albeit incredibly imperfectly, is to hold forth both truth and grace. To say that there is a way to navigate this life with both grace and truth, the way of Jesus. Let me ask a question, what does all of this have to do with weariness and rest? And I think the answer is everything. Because I believe the greatest contributor to weariness in the soul of a Christian is the felt pressure to be perfect. Some of you grew up with a version of Jesus that was standing there saying, do this or else. Or or a Jesus who said, if you'll say the right things and do the right things and perform the right ways, then I will receive you. That again is not who Jesus is. In fact, for Jesus, the most imperfect people were the people that liked him the best. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, those far from God who saw in Jesus the embodiment of graciousness and perfect peace and they came to him. And what we do as followers of Jesus is not to follow after the religious leaders who rejected him, but to follow after the sinners who were drawn to Jesus. And number three, we do this, we draw near to him. I want you to consider something that came to mind this week. In the middle of our political chaos, our social unrest, financial instability, health crises, natural disasters, spiritual decay, in the middle of all of that, God is perfectly at ease. Have you ever thought about that? God isn't restless. He's not pacing. He's not anxious. He's not worried. God is perfectly at ease. Not because things are going well. They're mostly not. He's at ease because he's God and he's in control. And he who knows every detail of our lives and of human history is not frantic. He's able to be at peace. It's why Jesus could say about himself that his yoke is easy and his burden light. I want to reread for you Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, but I want to read it in a different version called The Message. A man named Eugene Peterson in the 20th century wrote, and on these words in scripture, he wrote these words. Are you tired, worn out? burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely 
and lightly. If the Jesus you know is one more burden to carry, one more good work to accomplish, I want to reintroduce you to a new Jesus. The one who says, when you come to me, your burdens lift. When you take my way on you, it is the easier way. Not always uh, simple and easy in that way, but it is the better way. The way of rest, the way of wholeness. This past weekend, I had the chance to, to connect with several of my closest friends from college days, and we went hiking and biking in, in the mountains of Tennessee. And one night, we just kind of checked in with each other. How are things going in work and in your marriage? And they're all followers of Jesus there. And, and as I shared some of my story of walking in grace, there was a time nine years ago where I needed some grace in my life, and my wife offered that to me. And my boss offered that to me. And through the grace that God gave through the people that knew and loved me the best, I began to walk in freedom and wholeness. And I shared this with my friends. And one of my buddies said this. He said, man, I am thirsty for that. I'm thirsty to live in a culture of grace. I'm thirsty to experience God in that way. And the truth this morning is that some of you, if you were being fully honest, would say, I'm thirsty for that too. I'm thirsty to know a God who would give unlimited grace to me. Because the truth is, deep down, we sense that Jesus came to do more than just save us. We long for a taste of living water, the kind we can access here and now. And here's the good news, friends. Our longings are leading us to an open door. Jesus did not stop at saving us from eternal death. He yearns to give us the joy of sharing in his life. That is Jesus. And when we draw near to him, we experience grace. We experience rest. I want to close in this way. There is a weariness of the soul that no amount of Sabbath keeping is going to help with. That, that no amount of showing up at church, albeit a culture of grace exists here, no amount of church going will alleviate. And is a weariness of soul that comes from carrying the burden of your sin. There is no greater burden that humanity has to carry. And the greatest thing Jesus ever accomplished for us was when he bled and died on a Roman cross. And the blood that shed on that cross became our salvation. The blood that washed away our sins. Scripture says it separated as far as the east is from the west. And if you've never drawn near to Jesus for salvation, I want to give you the opportunity this morning to do just that. From that Roman cross, Jesus stretched out his arms and he said these words, It is finished. You don't need to work any harder. You don't need to strive anymore. You don't need to add to the work. God has accomplished it in Christ for you. I want to ask where you're at if you would just close your eyes for a moment. And if there would be anyone, a man, woman, teenager, child in the room, you say, Chris, I believe my weariness goes beyond just what comes from being human. I think that I have a weariness of soul and I'm ready to lay that burden of sin down. I'm ready to receive the grace and the mercy that come from Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up where I can see it? I want to pray for you. Yep, I see one here, several back here. Any others in the room? One here. I want to give you some instructions in a moment. I want to pray for you first. Father, would you see those who have raised their hands to indicate the desire to, to be saved of their sin, God? And your word is true. It says that the moment we ask, we receive in Jesus' name. God, would you forgive? 
the sins of those who have raised their hands? Would you forgive those who have acknowledged their need of a Savior? Lord, I thank you for the mercy that comes through Jesus. Would it be our rest and our refreshment? In his name we pray. Amen. Hey, before we sing a closing song, let me just say two things. First, if you raised your hand to indicate a, a decision to give your life to Jesus, I would love to know about it. We have a connect card um, in the lobby that you could just mark that and I'll follow up with you. you. We also have a way to do that online and Marcy will let you know about that in just a moment. But I don't want to miss the opportunity to follow up with you and share with you how you can walk in the new way of Jesus. And then one step further, next week we have beach baptisms at Cocoa Beach. This is something we do annually as First Orlando campuses, all of us, including Horizon West. And we get into the water and we have typically over 100 people who come and are baptized in the ocean, in the Atlantic Ocean. We baptize them and it's a beautiful and an awesome thing to experience. If you need to be baptized, that's not a step that you've yet taken. We'd love to do that with you at Cocoa Beach next Sunday. And I want to encourage even those of you that aren't taking that step of baptism, this is something you've got to experience. And if you have not been there yet, you can get the information at horizonwestchurch.com. Events is the place to find that out. Next Sunday, 5 o'clock in the evening, Cocoa Beach. With that, I'm going to close. Team, I'm going to ask that you come and lead us. Friends, go in peace. And moms, happy Mother's Day to you. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.